So I think being connected, composable and cloud-based is the future of supply chain. And I know that sounds a bit technical, but there is a real importance now for clients to think about transforming pace because supply chains have often been left because they always worked, right? But they worked in an old business model. So companies are ready to change. They have to change. They have to go for growth and they have to go for profitable growth. Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain podcast. My name's Richard Howells. I'm a Vice President for Thought Leadership for SAP's ERP, Finance and Supply Chain Solutions. And I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Nicole. Hi, everyone. I'm Nicole Smythe, and I'm a blogger, marketer, and podcaster in the supply chain space here at SAP. So today we're in store for a great conversation as we discuss the need for supply chain agility at scale to address Red Sea risk resilience and other disruptions. And of course, to do so, we're joined by our guest, Guy Glutton-Deason, but from SAP. So Guy, could you take a quick moment to introduce yourself and give a little insight into what you do today? For sure. Thanks so much. And thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Richard, for the invitation to contribute today. So my name's Guy. I'm based in Copenhagen, and it's really a real pleasure to join you. I've been working with supply chains really since I started my career. So I started in publishing and there I was working with setting up distribution networks in Asia, housing, transportation lanes, etc. So that was a really great experience. And then I joined SAP in 2010. And since then, I've really worked with helping strategic customers transform their operations and supply chains. That's been across Europe and Asia. So it's been a great experience. And I've been working now in the planning space for the last few years specializing in that to support our customers' transformations. And it's a really exciting time. I mean, it's a lot of focus on balancing inventory, taking advantage of the opportunities in the market. It's a fantastic thing to work so closely with customers across the world. It's great to have somebody on with such a global supply chain perspective and experience around the globe. And we've been seeing a lot of challenges across that global supply chain in the last few months. And specifically, recently, the challenge of shipping goods through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. And I saw a stat that it's estimated almost 24,000 ships transport about 1.4 billion tons of freight through the Suez Canal. And that was numbers from 2022. So the impact of blockages is significant. But this is just one of a string of supply chain disruptions over the past 12 months. What are you seeing in the space? So I think the impact on the sea level and the shareholder expectations is really having a top-down approach here. Of course, the tragic circumstances in the Red Sea are highly disruptive for global shipping. That is affecting a lot of consumer deliveries, not least in the transportation companies. Their risk scenarios have had to be recalculated significantly, and they have had to often redirect ships around Africa. So this has been a significant time and cost scenario as a result of the uh, geopolitical challenges in the region. So at the end of the day, consumers have been taking advantage of lower shipping rates since COVID and the massive skyrocketing rates that happened at that time. And now those rates are going to go up again. And now their delivery times are going to be affected quite significantly. And of course, the liner shipping routines and flows are going to be disrupted significantly. So there's a lot of 
recalculation going on. There's a lot of focus on consumer and meeting consumer service levels. And there's going to be a lot of disruption in the market for end consumers, as well as for suppliers, manufacturers, OEMs, and of course, transportation partners. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think us as consumers, we tend to hear about global supply chain and not really understand the trickle effects that it comes down into our everyday lives. You know, we can think of it as this kind of idea, but once it starts to affect the prices of the goods that we're buying, the prices at the grocery store, the prices of our everyday goods, like I said, that's when it really starts to hit home. So as you mentioned about the consumers, how would you say this really is affecting us as end consumers, especially on a global scale? So as consumers, we're much more aware of global disruptions than we were you know, 20, 30 years ago, mm -hmm. of course. So we're almost aware in real time of storms, geopolitical events. We're, of course, aware of shipping disruptions and missiles being fired at ships and, and you know, the impact that will have. So there's a deep understanding, I think, from a consumer perspective that there potentially wasn't before. But then when it comes to the impact that we'll see, I think we will see disrupted supplies. We will see disrupted pricing that hasn't been impacted yet. Bunker pricing, bunker diesel pricing has gone up now as a result of the scenarios that we're seeing. Of course, there was a lot of consistency before, a lot of slow steaming, a lot of predictable behavior from the transportation partners. This continuous disruption is something that we're getting used to. And I actually, I think it's a little bit like manufacturing companies themselves looking beyond their third tier suppliers. We're looking into alternative brands much more than we used to because we have this accessibility in terms of online shopping. Brands need to rethink how they are maintaining the loyalty of course, the supply to their consumers. So it's, it's an exciting time, I think, for big brands to try and track all of the consumer behaviors, but also then how do they start to predict and how do they start to create the loyalty to hold on and to create that consistency. That consistency is a real challenge for our customers who are providing for end consumers. Let's talk a little bit about the companies who are dealing with these challenges. What are they doing to address them? And let's, let's take it first from a strategic perspective. What are they doing to reduce risk in their supply chain over the long term? Yes. So I think if you look at uh, recent McKinsey research on risk resilience, you notice some important factors. For example, there was a research done for 100 supply chain leaders uh, just last year showing that look, people are aware of the risks, but they're not really creating the risk resilience or, or alternative forms of supply fast enough. Only 20% were investing fully in terms of the alternatives and actually putting money into dealing with risk sufficiently. I think the interesting thing, if you take a partner like Everstream AI, when they've done their research into the weather patterns in terms of billion dollar impact, what they term as a billion dollar event, that was happening every four months or so in the 1980s and 90s. And then really now it's, it's at a three week impact, right? So it's unbelievable the increase that we're seeing in terms of weather disruption. And so the companies are, as I said, not invested enough so far. And then the disruptions from a weather perspective are definitely increasing. So this is a major impact. What we're seeing is that companies are really investing in visibility. So they've really focused on visibility in the last few years. Massive investments in this area, 
and really tracking and tracing and also mitigating some of the risks that they are predicting. So trying to get that real-time information about geopolitical and weather events and then mapping that across the locations of their supply chain to really understand how that is going to impact deliveries, maybe new product introductions, and those impacts across key consumer groups in specific regions. So that visibility was a really big investment over the last few years. Now what we're really seeing is then a focus on planning as a top priority for clients who've invested a lot in visibility, but they also invested a lot in inventory. So a lot of companies are holding way too much inventory at the moment. And the thing is that inventory is aging and therefore supply planning is a specific focus that I see for clients at the moment. They're really trying to understand how can they deliver on a customer promise, but as their products are changing, because they're trying to go for new revenue streams, product services, and business models. And that is a key focus. Is the supply chain set up for that in a time of disruption, in a time of changing consumer demand? How flexible, how agile is our supply chain? So visibility can only deliver a certain amount. They need to be able to on what's changing in an integrated way. It's both interesting and disturbing to hear that companies haven't been investing in de-risking their supply chains at the extent that they should have been doing. And also that carrying additional inventory is a solution, but as a result of losing profits. Do you see inventory optimization as an area where companies can or should be focusing to thin out their inventory in some cases, or maybe increase their inventory in other places, but having it in the right places? Yes, that's a good point. I think we are seeing customers focusing on consolidation. For example, a lot of the inventory that they've traditionally purchased has been on a very fixed model and is now out at different customer sites or at different warehouse sites, for example, distribution centers in different markets. What we're seeing is a focus on consolidation and control and an ability to analyze across equipment and materials and products. And that's quite a, a common theme. So the investment in visibility has shown that there is a risk, right, in terms of exposure of the supply chain network. So there's a real focus on the network and there's a real investment in looking into the network and understanding beyond tier three, what are the suppliers we can rely on in specific regions. So there's a combination there of the understanding the network, understanding the suppliers, and then being able to connect that to acting and optimizing your inventory across that network. Mm -hmm. I find the network to be so important because it's almost like having your ducks in a row before an event happens. Like you said, being able to rely on suppliers in different parts of the world or within your supply chain to ensure you can then utilize the network to say, hey, we're rerouting. We need to use you in this situation now. Are you available? Can we work together? So I find that interesting and so important. Companies are taking steps to de-risk their supply chains, though. Investing in visibility, having that real-time look into geopolitical events affecting the different parts or aspects of their supply chain. Consolidation as well, like you said. But what happens when an event like the Red Sea blockages happen? How do they sense and respond to a disruption? Yeah, so I think we saw the Suez Canal, right? So that was a real challenge. I think it was the first time that there was that level of exposure, right? I would say at that scale, the amount of investment after that in terms of visibility was a focused response and a reaction to that. And it did give 
much better understanding of global networks, right? I think specifically when it comes to then taking that visibility, acting on it, the understanding of collaboration with your suppliers is really critical. Not just having visibility as a standalone team solution process that you're relying on. It's how do you then connect across procurement and supply chain management? It's not just one team working on its own. How do you connect it across finance, your transportation partners? How are you thinking about this extended ecosystem and network? I would say is the key aspect then collaborating, acting across it. So trying to bring teams together, trying to bring order management processes together, trying to bring alternative suppliers, alternative transportation partners, and these teams together to react. I'm not going to say a war room, but it's a kind of scenario where these tiger teams are coming together and actually be able to act from across the organization. So there's a lot from this McKinsey research as well, is a lot of focus that's needed in terms of organizational risk resilience. How do organizations plan together? How do they create these teams and the network internally to be able to respond faster? And I definitely see that with some best-in-class companies like Pandora, for example, that responded to a, a warehouse fire. Their team came together in new ways and they were able to solve those challenges by creating a COVID tent and then they restructured the entire warehouse in record time just by working together as a really effective team. So that is a, a good example how it's not just relying on tech. You have to think of this as a team effort across the organization by breaking down those silos internally, risks are communicated effectively, they're assessed and the impact analysis is then used to act in the right way. And so there's a combination of investment in both technology solutions, but also the people change to create risk resilience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's actually a perfect lead into my next question because it is such an investment you know, supply chains, they have to work as an ecosystem. If you work individually, it's not a chain anymore. It's a broken chain at that point. You have to be linked together. You have to be able to communicate and not just have visibility across your supply chain. You have to have visibility internally as well and be able to communicate with each other, talk about risks, talk about upcoming things that could have potentially caused delays. You bring a really good point to it about that ecosystem, both from an external and an internal point of view. But you spoke about the investment, especially in technology. So, of course, the next question that I'd like to ask is how can supply chain solutions help in situations like you spoke about before? So I think supply chain solutions need to be integrated, right? They can't just be standalone. And in companies have worked on it themselves through this investment in the last few years. They have focused on building a data lake to better understand things building a specific visibility solution. It's different teams working on different things. If you think about it holistically and in a more integrated way, like a systems thinking approach where things are connected holistically, it's fine for people to assess external risk, but if you can't deal with internal risk and respond fast enough because of the way that the organization is set up, I think there's some big cultural changes that need to be looked. And I think that the exciting thing is to do this as a business transformation and to look at how to use the solutions in a holistic way, right? It's creating the processes to start with, I think is really critical. What are the decision modeling capabilities? What are the processes that we should look at if there are a challenge, if there is a disruption? 
who in this region is going to take the decisions if they have a regional disruption from a port or something, and then they have to make decisions in their time zone at that point. So there's a lot of preparation that needs to go into the change management for using and adopting the right solution sets, I would say. And often that's something that customers and companies don't necessarily consider carefully enough. So I would say that putting a solution in place is something that was done in response to COVID and all of those challenges with Suez. But as you can see, it's not necessarily had the impact in terms of dealing with unexpected risks that are continuing to happen. We talked about visibility. We talked about planning. We talked about the ability to collaborate across the network, bringing those capabilities together with the ability to then assess from a financial perspective what is the most profitable way to solve this problem? And being able to do that in a remote team with the right data that you trust, with the right processes and the right analytics gives everyone the confidence in the organization's ability to resolve these challenges. I'd say the change management is critical for not just putting solutions in place, but also then having the adoption and the visibility internally, including up to the sea level, right? So it's not just planning team or execution team that is then working with these different elements. It's a holistic board-sponsored initiative. We've mentioned several times building visibility, and I would go a little further and say you need to build transparency across the supply chain, not just visibility. You've talked about the role of business networks and how they play. You're getting data from across departments and companies and building these data lakes. But what is the role of AI and predictive analytics in leveraging this data to provide the insights to those teams in the control room? Yes. So I would say that there's two areas to look at. There's embedded AI and then there's generative AI. Embedded AI is something that, you know, you have in our solutions and is continually improving and then is releases are coming up every quarter because of the cloud-based approach. Right. So I would say cloud-based approach is critical to having a solution architect that you can rely on for new innovations and you can use those embedded into our platform. So thinking holistically about embedded AI is really important. And that will help to create gradient boosting or smoothing scenarios for planning, for example. It could be identifying issues across manufacturing plants that you have and then starting to improve quality for example. So those kind of aspects are going into risk. Also, statistical forecasting and algorithms that are becoming more and more sophisticated when it comes to taking data and historical data and actually recommending scenarios for business so that there are risk-resilient scenarios in place. When it comes to generative AI, I think the opportunity is even more exciting. Right? I would say, think about one of the challenges with data lakes built by a specific team for a specific scenario. And then the business changed. When disruptions happen, data lakes weren't necessarily fit for the right response to those scenarios. What we're seeing is then a data fabric approach, which is becoming more a mesh scenarios, for example, which sound a little bit technical, but are very important to consider when it comes to leaving data in the right place, data that you trust and that is clean basically pulling those data sources together to create a real strong and agile visibility across both your internal network of data, but also the external supplier network, for example. And then once you have that in place, that flexible data fabric, generative AI scenarios are much more powerful to ask the right questions 
and to focus on those right questions across these different data scenarios. We have strong partners as well, like Cosmotech, which will then be able to do mass simulation and risk mitigation scenarios. So I think that it's important to consider embedded AI and generative AI and the, the way that it can support the people aspect. This shouldn't just be an automated scenario. As we talked about earlier, we're talking about people change. We're talking about getting the right teams together, the right decision makers. That generative AI can really support getting more value from the data that you have and asking questions across the business, identifying new risks. It's a super exciting area. We're only just starting. I think identifying the use cases and working with us for use cases is a really exciting opportunity that we see more and more where our customers across different industries are coming to us working together as a collaborative team to identify and create new capabilities that can drive risk resilience. Planning systems in general are often very complex and sometimes seem like a black box of it just spews out the results. Do you see an opportunity for generative AI as a tool to help planners interrogate the planning results? Ask why you're giving me this recommendation. Yeah, I agree. I think when it comes to the optimized scenarios many customers use, that black box result has been trusted for a long time. I think the reliability of the op business environment is changing, like we talked about. So when you have the disruptions, you, know, you need to be able to run these scenarios, these optimizers, and then be able to validate in front of a, a larger war room or risk board, for example, you know, can we trust them? Because one of the challenges with embedded AI is that organizations' risk boards are not necessarily ready to trust that recommendation. You know how many times planning teams are told to override something because actually it wasn't like that before. The disruptions are happening at such a faster pace now. We haven't seen these kind of scenarios before. So we need to almost have the data scenario and the AI scenarios that we trust. And to your point then, generative AI is a brilliant way where we can be in that risk board as a planning team. There was a why. It's like being a little kid asking why all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Can we trust it? Why can we trust it? We've really developed a lot in terms of an immediate scenario results. We're able to kind of replan in, a, in sales and operations or a demand planning meeting. But when it comes to risk, that complexity is far wider and there's more unknowns in there. So having generative AI and being able to ask, okay, why is the optimized? What risks have you considered in, in this? You know, that might be the really exciting opportunities that we're getting into around risk resilience. We will build the confidence in the results a lot faster in front of the risk board. I think that's the golden question. What risks have you considered? Because it's the golden question, but I think it's the never ending answer, so to speak, where what have we not thought about at this point? But to have generative AI, you know, as a part of that, you really can think of any type of scenario and have that backup plan to react. And it all goes hand in hand, the visibility, the collaboration, the consolidation, the gen AI. It's going to be really interesting to see how closely they can all start to work together as we move forward into the future. It's one I'm excited to see for sure. Super exciting. And, you know, this is why you talked about it. Let's help our customers structure not just the tools, but the processes the analytics, the people, that's where we as SAP should be able to support our customers in a very holistic way. And, you know, once we've got that data that people can trust, orchestrated, then generative AI will drive this reliable and relevant information and bring it out. And actually, to your point, why not ask generative AI, what risks have we not considered? Which risks would you recommend that we do consider? That's making the unknowns known. That's the exciting opportunity.
Exactly. Exactly. And it's actually a perfect lead into our last question here, which is crazy to believe, but we're already near the end of the podcast here. And we ask every guest the same question, because given the title of our podcast, The Future of Supply Chain, we're going to ask the same question to you too, Guy. And I think Richard and I are both very excited to hear what you'll have to say. But in your opinion, what is the future of supply chain? So I think that the future of supply chain is collaborative across different traditional silos, but also externally. I think it is composable. I think it's putting capabilities together and having the agility there to be able to react faster. And so you need this open data and capability there to connect these composable elements together. And that could be external sources, et cetera. And it needs to be cloud-based. You need to be able to take the external scenarios and have the confidence that those are going to be easily connected and then take the innovations that are coming on a quarterly basis. Cybersecurity is much stronger with the cloud. You know, we're still working with clients who are working on mainframes. So their cloud-based capability is super important in terms of agility, security, and innovation. So I think being connected composable and cloud-based is the future of supply chain. And I know that sounds a bit technical, but there is a real importance now for clients to think about transforming at pace because supply chains have often been left because they always worked, right? But they worked in an old business model. So companies are ready to change. They have to change. They have to go for growth and they have to go for profitable growth. So I think the second key point is connecting finance and supply chain has to be a priority so that the right strategic decisions are made about the network, the risk levels, the profitability, and the ability to meet customer service levels despite disruptions, despite geopolitical events. And that's a real confidence. Breaking down those internal silos, getting finance and supply chain together is a good start on that journey. So I think it's a super exciting area to work in. It's driving a lot of change, a lot of opportunity. Companies are connecting risks and they're creating this much more driver-based approach where they are steering the business with their supply chains. And it is a C-level priority that needs to be connected, composable, and cloud-based. Thanks very much. That was great. I love the fact somewhere in the middle there of we really don't know what we don't know. Our future products, our future ways of doing business with companies don't exist yet. And we have to have the agility and the flexibility to come up with those new ideas. But Guy, thanks for joining us. It was a great session. Really enjoyed it. Pleasure. Anytime. And I look forward to joining you again. Thanks so much for your time. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> and thanks everyone for listening. To learn more about risk resiliency in the face of unexpected disruptions, we'll include links in the show notes for additional information. And until next time, from Guy, Nicole, and I, thanks for discussing the future of supply chain. <laughs>